What's up, family? Welcome back to the Stop Sinking Show, where we go from struggle to flow. Everybody talks and preaches about having an abundance mindset. Everyone feels in agreement that it is better to be around people who are not cheap, not misers, not accountants every time a bill comes. I highly doubt anyone would prefer to be around someone who tallies up each person's contribution and gives them not an inch more of credit. We all prefer to be around people who treat relationships as the long game. None of us want to feel like we haven't built towards any place in the heart of the person we've spent time with. We all want to begin and experience a never-ending exchange of give and take. That is what makes a relationship. That mentality is what makes a life. The never-ending aspect of it. The not having to account for it. Now, while we all want and agree that abundance is a more desirable way of being and being around, many of us don't realize how our tendency for scarcity creeps into our actions and how that acted out scarcity takes us away from creating the abundance that we so desire. We don't realize this, but because most of us are stuck in the rat race trying to feed on crumbs, when more than a handful of crumbs are presented in front of us, most of us pounce at it. We're so used to living below what we want for ourselves, for reasons we have subtly accepted, which is a topic for another conversation, while we've accepted that we will live with less than what we actually want for ourselves, different conversation. But because we are so used to less, when more is available... Our scarcity brain tries to gather up and store up as much as we can while the getting's good. And actually, that seems logical. Because why wouldn't you feast when the feast is available? But what hides in that tendency is this built-in back-end understanding and expectation of scarcity. That more will not be there for us again. Or we wouldn't pounce at it. We try to take as much advantage of the more available to us now because we don't count on more being there for us again. And though it's a logical thing to do so, it's also a way of being that then creates the following experiences in your life. And in that belief is your inherent expectation of less and more being out of the ordinary experience for you. Without realizing it, even though you started out with this belief and desire for abundance, what you don't realize is how automatically scarcity comes in to save you. And how then, because it's there to protect you for today, because to it only today matters, What's available in front of it is the only thing that matters. It keeps away from you the abundance, the possibilities of tomorrow. Stemming simply from your lack of expectation of there being everlasting abundance for you. That's built in to that tendency. 
Now, the problem is that I've seen this creep of scarcity manifest and show its ugly face in so many day-to-day human scenarios that I can't even begin to list them without getting exhausted. For example, free food at a company event or a public event. You would think people showing up have never seen food before in their life. And I think part of this is programmed into me from childhood because as a thing of pride maybe for my mother, she used to feed us before she would take us to anyone else's house because she didn't want us to be jumping at the snacks that they would put in front of us. It almost like instilled in me this feeling of satiation, like I have enough in my belly. Any more would be just for flavor, icing, enhancement. And sure, I would enjoy it, but it is not my expectation to be nourished by it. I did not come here to seek nourishment. I am well nourished. And this feeling literally radiates into every other aspect of my life. It makes me never feel the need to chase anything because I count on it. I count on it making its way to me. I have an expectation of it. And trust me, nothing about that is passive. I don't expect blessings to be bestowed upon me and riches to fall in my lap. But working towards something tirelessly, knowing that there is enough to satiate and nourish you always, no matter what it is that you're working towards without having attained it, Just knowing that there's enough always to satiate and nourish you only attracts more of that to you. And it gives you the strength to continue and the faith to continue. I had this discussion with a really wise friend of mine who worked at the same company. Maybe because my subconscious has always picked up on this tendency for the crowd to all have competitive desire for the last morsel of food, It's partly why I overorder every time I eat out because I want there to be zero desire left in everyone when there's food still left on the table. I never want two or more people to look at the last piece and say, you have it. No, you have it. Anytime I've ever seen that dance, this scenario, I've quietly ordered another order of the same thing. I detest the idea that anyone would think, and literally in this case, would feel, and figuratively, in its extension, would feel that, oh, if someone takes a slice, there's less for me. I'd rather live and create a world where there's more pies always on the way and beyond your ability to consume. The shop never shuts down and the oven is always on. You want it? It's on its way. So again, when I see this tendency for people to go towards free food at a company event like Mods to a Flame, I am immediately disturbed and wish I could provide 10 times the amount of food that's in front of them now. And don't get me wrong, our company events have always been lavish, so that's not to say that there has ever been less than what we have ever wanted. And in that scene of people, especially if it's not an intimate department dinner just for the sales department, for example, and more of a company-wide dinner where it's other departments all now 
competing for the food, I have always laid back and tended not to eat. And in this conversation with my friend who also worked at this company, she said with her wisdom, I think she was poking at me to see what would come back. She said, why? Take what's yours. To which I replied, why? It always makes his way to me anyway. And again, without fail, at every event, someone in my team or someone in my company will fix me a plate or put more food on my plate. Without me ever reaching for something on the table, somehow, someone takes the responsibility to make sure I am fed. Now again, because I am well-nourished, with or without this extra meal, imagine what it feels for me other than just my belly when someone's love and care pours onto my plate. And when I say I have an expectation of abundance, I would be perfectly fine if I went home hungry and no one paid any mind or were too busy. That's not to say I put that expectation on them. But somehow that's never happened. And I don't seek for it to happen either. I just know it will. And either way, I am well fed either way. The universe has already provided for me. And there's just no doubt in me about that. Now, of course, that was just an analog of how scarcity creeps in and how abundance can play out instead. But I don't want to overlook the other aspects of that mentality that are too important not to point out. When a person who doesn't seek to fill his plate, a part of him wants the plates of others filled first. A part of him is okay with what's left over. A part of him is so full that he eats less, eats last, and has more sources of vitality than just what's on his plate. What's in his hands now. Because in his abundance, he feels the existence of all that is and all that can ever be also already in the grasp of his hands. His hands know no chase, no reach, no yearning. It only knows to receive and expects to accordingly. A person with this spirit treats the world like his home. And in his home, everyone else sits first. Everyone else eats first. His guests are his family, and he prioritizes them over his temporary discomfort, knowing how temporary everything is with everyone. And again, lives in the flow of all that comes and goes. This scarcity is so subtle in how it infects our spirit that we don't even detect all these numerous different ways that it manifests. How it even shows up in our love for our own ideas and limits the invitation to others' ideas. And this can become an undetected, self-propagated roadblock to your own goals. You standing in your own way. Everything you want is being gated by your lack of humility, by the shroud of your ego. Your scarcity creeps in 
to protect you. Your ego creeps in to protect you while you cling to what you know and resist what is new, what is different, what is outside of what you believed, what you so carefully gathered and worked so hard to believe. An abundant man, a wise man, can entertain a thought without accepting it right off the bat. That means he can play around with it. He can be playful with it. He can have it pierce his mental, have it bring up valid questions to confirm, affirm, or discard what it is that was already there in his mind. He's willing to shed whatever that is. But a scarce man is satisfied with his collection of ideas and holds to them tightly. A scarce man identifies with what he knows. He uses it. He uses what he knows to define who he is. Anything outside of that then is naturally dangerous to his assumed identity. He also takes excessive pride in what it is and what he has already acquired. He is afraid that that acquisition of a new model or a way of being from someone else diminishes him. And in turn might pedestalize the other person. An abundant man allows anyone to be his counsel, to be his guide, to be his guru, to be his teacher. He trusts, an abundant man trusts his own filter enough to not be corrupted, but remains flexible enough to let in the finest of the material. He remains porous, but is never undone by what is let in. He lives in the flow of what comes and goes. He does not grasp and knows there is no need to. Part of this is because a person with a scarcity mindset who shows up as someone who lacks humility ceases to have the ability to put themselves in the mode of a student. Because again, inherent in that is the role of a teacher who our ego does not want to credit anyone else with being. We scrutinize the idea of having a teacher more than scrutinizing the actual teachings. Our lack of humility keeps us from allowing the belief that the other person may know more than us in some regard, and they too can be our guru to a certain facet in our life. But again, because for most of us, the room on the pedestal is so scarce that we dare not risk having to share the space when we get up there. We want all the wins to be self-credited, self-earned, we want no question as to the attribution of our achievement. And dare we allow anyone to teach us something? Someone who might also be then just as deserving to be at the top with us, on that pedestal with us. That would be incompatible with our memed beliefs of the pinnacle of success. It's lonely at the top, right? Only one spot available for that narrow peak of the mountain, right? What if instead you believe something I heard the other day, that if instead 
of you imagining a single occupancy peak that only you can summit, that instead, when you reach to the top of the mountain, there was a flat surface where you, your friends, your counterparts, all who contributed to you being there, who journeyed with you, who were a part of some part of your journey, now all can share this space at the top of the mountain with you. Because in an abundance world, there is no single peak that matches your lonely imagination. Those are only plays of the ego in which you only see yourself as the protagonist. But if you follow the transformational journey of any main character, it is all those who help him become him who are the real heroes. I see more Yoda toys than I do Luke Skywalker. In recognition of this, and in true inner desire for myself to remain a student, I want to give everyone a piece of me. And I want everyone to give them a piece of me. So everyone can take credit for my growth. Each person I walk into life with, I give them the credit and acknowledgement of some impact they have on me. I even have friends of mine who teach me things in the gym who I've named the body part that they've helped me the most with. So my delt is named after somebody. My tricep that I'm working on is named after somebody else. I give and I want to give the credit and acknowledgement to everyone that helps me get to my peak form. And I want to share that with them when I get there. And I'm so sure of where I am going and who I'm going to become that I don't want to take any credit for it. Because I will not get there alone. And my ego does not crave the ability to say I made it myself. I want everyone to take part in the making of me. I don't want to reach the peak alone. If life could be altered by our design, why would I imagine myself alone? Why wouldn't I imagine abundance and share abundance? Now, I don't necessarily have a tactical step to provide you in how to become more abundant in your being. Partly because I don't know how to tell your being to be a different way of being. A lot of that is on you. You've tried scarcity for a while. Why not at least flirt with what it might feel like to trust in abundance? I was hoping that sharing the beauty of how it feels to experience abundance make its way to you might inspire you enough to make up for this lack of tactical advice that I'm providing. I wish for all that's coming your way to reach you, reach there faster and more regularly so that you may have constant examples of how everything is bent in your favor. And if you attune yourself to expecting it, there is nothing that can damn the flow of that abundance. I love you, family. Please share the show. See you in the next one.